The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. Today, coming to us all the way from the United Kingdom, about an hour south of London, is the wonderful Dr. Nancy Doyle. Nancy, welcome to Exploring Different Brains. Thank you. Hello. Well, thank you for being with us. Uh, before I butcher your introduction, why don't you give us a proper introduction of yourself? Thank you. Okay, so um, I'm Dr. Nancy Doyle. I'm a, a psychologist uh, who specializes in neurodiversity and employment. So uh, I've worked for around 25 years in, in the disability inclusion field, specifically around how workplaces can be more inclusive of people with all kinds of disabilities, but particularly invisible disabilities or, or neurodiversity, depending on which lens you want to put on it. Um, and also working with individuals with those conditions directly, looking at strategies for managing symptoms, managing um, difficulties, but more importantly, recognizing talents. Uh, I run a, a nonprofit called Genius Within CIC which uh, operates in both the UK and the USA. And again, we work with on the individual level, but also with businesses, uh, people who are unemployed, people who want to achieve more in their career and businesses that want to be more inclusive. Um, and I also developed the ideas behind The Employables, which is a show that has recently aired on A&E. Um, and I piloted that show with the BBC and we've run two, two series in the UK. Um, it has also aired in, in other countries. And what do you do in your spare time? <laughs> yeah. I have twins. Oh, boy. Um, uh, I, I have ADHD myself. So uh, as far as spare time goes, it's, it's uh, important for me to be uh, active and to have lots to do. Um, I, I genuinely have quite high energy levels and um, generally um, find that I'm, I'm doing quite a lot. So, so yeah, there is no, there is idle hands of the devil's playground where it comes to me. The, the more I'm doing work-wise and, and positively, the, the better off I am in lots of respects. Tell us about your twins. Uh, so I have 13-year-old twin boys uh, called Tom and Ollie, and um, they are currently with friends in Vermont, USA. Um, exploring the wilderness, kayaking, swimming, running around in, in somebody's truck, um, and generally making mayhem. That's what they're up to right now. Um, do you find it difficult to be in both the United Kingdom and the United States? Not at all. My father's from New Jersey. I'm a U.S. citizen. So um, in many ways, I, I think my my natural home is 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 America. Yeah, I'm much more American than I am English. So in England, I have ADHD, but in New Jersey, where my family are from, I'm just kind of normal. <laughs> well, I'm from Jersey City myself. My folks had a gas station there. So, okay. which which part of Jersey were your uh, your dad from? Uh, near the Asbury Park area, so Hazlitt, Monmouth County. Oh, yeah, nice down there. Yeah, not far from Red Bank, that, that kind of area. Sure. The shore. 
The Jersey Shore. The Jersey Shore. See, don't let the accent fool you. I'm really a Jersey girl. That's, yeah. You know, that's the issue. I thought there was something different about you. You do have that Jersey running through your veins, don't you? Yes, I do. Tell us about the genius within. Um, so the genius within organization. Um, so I started it in 2011. And at that point, it was really just an extension of my own consultancy. So I had worked as an individual practitioner and, and kind of clinician working with individuals and businesses. And uh, it is actually a family issue. So when my kids started school, Lots of parents think this. They think that when their kids start school, they're going to have loads of time on their hands. And what actually happens when your kids start school is that you're suddenly, your whole day is curtailed between nine and three or eight and two or whenever the school hours are open. So what I used to do when my boys were very young is I used to say, right, I have three days work in Sheffield or I'm going to a conference abroad. Um, hey, grandma, let me have these, these two boys for a couple of days. And grandmas would say, yay. Um, but once they have to be at school every day, grandmas aren't quite so up for that. You know, grandmas don't like brush your teeth, do your homework, put your shoes on. We have to go. Grandmas like, let's go, let's go get ice cream. Let's just, let's have a late bedtime. So it was quickly not working. So I had this, my husband and I sat down and we looked at our respective work because we were both kind of doing consultancy type things and, and, and all over the place. And I did the math and I said, right, you know, if I subcontract the far away clients and just do the clients that are nearby me within the, the working the school day, um, we can afford this. You know, we will we'll make in enough money. I'll take a I'll take a small commission and I'll subcontract the work. So that was in 2011. Um, and I had seven people that I was subcontracting work to. In 2012, it was 25. In 2013, it was 52. The following year, 74. Yada yada yada, and and now we have um, 150 associates that we subcontract to, and 42 employees who also work in the prison service and um, for people who are long with you know doing uh, funded projects for people who are long term unemployed. So my job has changed really. Genius Within was a very emergent thing. Uh, the neurodiversity movement is. You know, it's got the wind beneath its sails at the moment and it's really getting out there. I've been doing it for 20 years, but I think the point at which I decided to set up Genius Within was exactly the right moment to catch that, that wind. And, and neurodiversity has become the new diversity and inclusion. It's become the new talent advantage for businesses. And, and there's a real paradigm shift going on in, the, um, in, in our consciousness about this. And, and we were in the right place at the right time doing the right things. You know, doing it from a position of what is good about this? What can you bring to a workplace? What do you do well? What What are your strengths? What What is your genius within? You know, what is the stuff that, that makes you a specialist that we could be um, getting value from as, as an organization or as a community? And, and how can we capitalize on that? And that's always been my MO. And when I was just me, it was my MO. But the point that I set up genius within was just the right place at the right time. So, you know, that's why things moved quite quickly but it's it's been like playing catch-up ever since you know that that kind of going from a, a business that was based on my kitchen table where it was me and the cat and a few people that I, I would subcontract to to you know now I have a head of finance and a head of human resources and you know now I'm a CEO I'm not a I'm not Nancy the the renegade psychologist anymore I'm 
you know, Nancy, the CEO. So it's, it's been a huge learning curve for me as well in, in that process. Wow. And your whole MO is positive assessment. That's, that's one of our MOs. Yeah. So the, um, so the, the thing that I was railing against when I, when I got into this work was I couldn't understand why we call things, why we use terms like specific learning disabilities. You know, if it's a specific learning disability, it's there's something specific that's an issue, but everything else is fine. So why aren't we talking about the everything else that's fine? Do you know, it just so there's there's a whole movement in psychology, the positive psychology movement, which has been around for, for a long time. This is something that I studied and I thought was very interesting. And and I just was finding myself very frustrated that I was meeting people for, for coaching support um, who had psychology reports. And I would read their psychology reports and I would look at the data in it and, and it would say things to me like this person is in the top percent of population for verbal spills. And they would have no idea about that. What they knew about was that their spelling was terrible or their concentration was poor or their, their social skills were difficult. They had no idea that they had this tremendous ability in verbal reasoning. And I would think to myself, well, wow, what a difference it, it's making to you when I tell you that, you know. But, but then the, the next logical step is, why do you need an extra person to tell you that when you've already had psychological assessment surely part of the psychological assessment should be to allow you to know the full, the full range of your abilities so the things that you're struggling with and what to do about it but also the things that you're great at and how to work with that so so I kind of commandeered the assessment process and rather than it being about you know acquiring funding to provide support for things that are difficult and to you know create a medical um this distinction of something that is is pathological and must be treated it, to make it more of a catharsis, to make it something that allowed people to um, develop self-awareness and self-confidence and self-belief and to then create career goals based around that and to have hope. So I see the positive assessment process as providing a spark of hope where there has been no hope, where people are, are very aware of what they can't do and what they struggle with, going, well, actually, yes, 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 that, that, I'm not going to take that away from you. Those things are real and true and, and difficult, but, but see this shiny thing over there. Let, let's pay attention to that for a minute. Let's, let's, let's look at the shiny thing. The positive assessment isn't about glossing over difficulties. It's just about providing a balanced view. And, th and there is always a balanced view. There are always things that people can do at any range of, of ability. There's something that people can do. And the job of a, of a psychology assessment, I think, is to find that as part of it and to, to, to work with that and hone awareness of it so that people leave feeling empowered rather than... Um, diminished, yeah. rather than diminished. Diminished, exactly. Rather than diminished or disempowered, um, you know, it... it Sometimes a diagnosis can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, yes. And then we fail in our society to uh, enable, like I have a chapter in the Aspertools book on harnessing the hyper interests. Sure. That's the career path right there. Right there. And uh, yeah. all of our wonderful 18-year-old and above uh, neurodivergent interns here, they're harnessing their hyper interests. We say, Find out what you like, but it's very hard in a system that's one size fits all. And you don't get to 
try video editing or an interview like this or transcribing or researching or writing. Mm -hmm. And so I, I applaud you. Let's focus on the positives and see what we can do with that. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Now let's segue into your work and what you have found in the prison population. Yeah, so this is this is very interesting to me. So when um, so before I set up Genius Within, one thing I would do as a consultant is work with people who are long term unemployed. And there's a lot of talk around people not having the right level of motivation, which I always found very patronizing. You know, you, if you're if, you, if you're hopeless, you're not going to be motivated. Um, and I, I always felt once once we started to be successful as a business and we started doing kind of human resources, occupational health interventions and, you know, earning money. I have some major banking groups that are that are my clients. And so, you know, we're earning a good living now from this. And that's great. And I just thought, well, hold on a second. My my company uh, legal status is um, is, is community interest and, and, and non-profit. So should I really only be working with the people who are already fairly successful? Let's be honest, because if you already have a job, that's a level of success that a lot of neurodiverse um, people do not have. They're not, they don't have that level of success. So should we actually be working where people are less successful? And I have some experience of that, so let's give it a go. So we started doing some pilot projects in prisons one thing I did um, before the pilot um, interventions was do a positive assessment with the, with the men that we were going to be working with. Um, and when I did the positive assessments, what I found is that on average, the, the guys had kind of visual abilities in the top 10% of the population um, and memory and concentration scores in, in the bottom 20%. So that's, that's quite a big difference. That's very typical for um, many forms of, of neuro difference. Um, but it's almost exactly the same scores as the students that we were doing positive assessments for who were in med school. So I have a couple of contracts in universities, and in this one particular university, it's in southeast London, and we were working in a prison in southeast London, a really difficult prison, the most secure prison in the UK. It's where they keep the terrorism suspects in the UK. I mean, this place is like Fort Knox. You cannot get into it. You know, it's a really, really harsh environment. And I'm thinking, here's a group of people. They are literally miles away from each other. They have the same ability. But this group are in med school. And this group are in the worst prison in the UK. How is this possible? What are we doing wrong here? <laughs> you know, this is ridiculous. Um, and so we, we would go, we've gone on to develop training courses and coaching programs, which start with the positive assessment and then kind of, uh, work with people before they leave the prison environment so that when they come out, they have an understanding of what they need to do to find work. And you know, the, biggest, um, biggest, the most likely thing to prevent reoffending is employment. So recidivism is based on, on employment, essentially. If, if someone leaves prison and they get a job, they are far less likely to reoffend, go back into prison, and to become incarcerated again. So we're really focused on the work. Um, and what can we do with individuals before they leave so that they maybe take some classes while they're in the prisons, you know, get some uh, some training, maybe um, some health and safety certificates for the construction industry or, uh, you know, a level, a, a, a math qualification, basic numeracy qualification, something that will show that they can put some effort in, complete something, will help them get a job afterwards. 
also work with them as they come out. So that's called through the gate. It's called through the gate vision before and after. Um, and and our projects have so we were given those we were given the contracts um, and targeted with a certain number of employment outcomes. And we have doubled the employment outcomes that we were targeted with. Nancy, I uh, I spoke with um, William Packard, who wrote a book on neurodiversity within the prison system. And um, what was interesting to me in the discussion, rather surprising, was not so much the percentage of inmates who had some kind of neurodiversity, but also the guards who were guarding them as well. What have you found in that regard? Exactly that. Exactly that. In that first project uh, in southeast London, when I was talking to the governor of the prison about coming in and, and you know, I was trying to discuss uh, functional difficulties associated with uh, neuro differences like managing time, organizational skills, concentration. He said, you've just you've just described half my staff team. <laughs> I said, yeah, well, we can work with them too, you know. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I, I totally agree. You know, there's, um, there's, there's jobs that people with neurodifferences are good at, and they tend to be um, those kinds of jobs. You know, neurodifferences are overrepresented in the prison staffing sector, but also in, in defence, in security, in police work. Um, in, in paramedics, you know, there's there's something about the, the hypersensitivity that goes on with neurodiversity that allows you to be hyper alert, you know, and this is one of these kind of positive negative reframe things. It depends how full your glass is. Is it half empty or half full? Because, you know, we pathologize concentration difficulties in the school system. We say people that can't sit still and concentrate for eight hours have a disability. If you think about it, sitting still and concentrating for eight hours is a pretty weird thing to ask of people. If you consider the natural state of the human species, it's, it's not something that we should really be doing. So in that in that circumstance, it's called high distractibility. But if your job is to be kind of doing crowd control and to be aware of, of where people are and, you know, a, a, some sort of conflict that, that might be coming off, then what we call distractibility at school is actually just hyper alert and very responsive and reactive, which you need to be in those situations. Very interesting. Mm. Let's go back to the uh, the TV show, The Employables. Do you have any one story that stands out to you that's been on that? Oh, they all do for different reasons. They all do for different reasons. So. Um, I think that there were there were some different stories in there. So, to Angela Justice, one of the the things that stood out for me with Angela Justice was just how completely unaware she was of how brilliant she was. She had absolutely no idea. Every every idea I've ever had about positive assessment, I felt a hundred percent vindicated working with that woman. I was like this is why I do what I do, this. Because you are a brilliant human and you had no idea. And so the joy of watching her realize, you know she's completed her associate's degree in psychology now. She's wow. just starting her bachelor's degree. Very cool, very cool. Yeah. 
I, I keep in touch with them all. Um, so, so she stood out to me for that reason because that that changed her. It changed her self perception completely. She um, she had some validation that day, some some real validation that she'd never had before, and and it's changed her life's trajectory. So she she's going to get that bachelor's degree. She's going to become a psychologist, and she's going to be an psychologist. And I'm going to my hardest to 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 steal her and have her ingenious within when she. Um, I will find work for her in Pittsburgh because I I want her so much. I'm like, okay, I don't have any clients. In I'm going to go get some so that I have some work for Angela. Um, and then the other one that I really liked was was Fish, uh, because Fish absolutely knew what his genius within was. You know, he I I when I was filming with Fish, the the directors and producers kept kind of getting a bit grumpy with me because they had a format for that show which was. We do the testing. We find out what the genius bit is, and then they go and do the thing. And I, I wasn't doing any testing with Fish, and they were like, "What? Why are you not doing any testing?" Like, well, because he doesn't need it. But can you not just do the testing? I was like, "No, because because he needs something else." What what Fish didn't have was that thing I just told you about how to get work. So Fish Fish didn't know how to how to just go out and get work without waiting for the right job to come along. He didn't know he could just start picking up the phone and start bringing in the work. And, and you know, that's what he's doing now. And the other thing that he didn't know about was how to mitigate the impact of his condition in a workplace scenario. So he didn't know about things like ergonomic chairs, where you can have a reclining chair that's attached to a desk. that You can have your laptop on a panel in front of you so that you can recline. And still work on a computer. He didn't know that that kind of equipment existed, and because his Tourette's uh, syndrome was, was so severe in terms of the, the strength of the tics, he had some quite serious physical um, issues. You know, he had um, yeah some mobility issues and a lot of pain that he was dealing with. And so, one of the reasons that he was feeling like he couldn't go back to work in a standard nine to five job is because he couldn't sit for that long. And I was saying to him, you don't need to. You don't need to sit for that long to do what you do. Here's this kind. You can have this kind of chair. You can have this kind of desk. Um, you can work for yourself. You can, you can do consultancy work. And so kind of broadening his mind as to what work could look like, I think, was, was, was the interesting thing for him. Um, how can our Different Brains audience get in touch with you or how can they learn more about you? Okay, so because I have ADHD, um, Twitter is my best friend. So the best way to stay in touch with me is to watch my Twitter account because, uh, so at Nancy Doyle Psych, um, Psych spelt P-S-Y-C-H for the non-spellers out there. So Nancy Doyle Psych. Um, my website is uh, geniuswithin.org and uh, I have a LinkedIn profile. Just search me up. I'm not hard to find. And um, there's lots of ways to contact me if, if you search me up, you know, through the, through the website or LinkedIn or um, Twitter. Thank you so much for being with us today here at Different Brains. Uh, keep up the great work you do. And we look forward to seeing you here again. Thank you for having me. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains, Inc. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.org.